0: You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. I'm your host in New York City as always, Ankit Panda.
1: And I'm Prashant Warren, uh from Washington, D.C.
0: Great, Prashant. Uh, it's good to be back with you today. And um, I guess for our listeners this week, we go back to everybody's favorite topic in early 2017, which is U.S. President Donald Trump. Uh, we might have done something else on this podcast, but Trump actually gave us a very good reason to revisit him and revisit U.S. policy in Asia. Specifically, there was a spectacular report out of the Washington Post based on a leaked White House transcript that shed a bit of light on Donald Trump's conversation with a U.S. ally in the Asia-Pacific region. Specifically, Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull and Donald Trump, when they did speak last week, they didn't have the best conversation. And uh, Prashant, there's, there's, I think, a lot to digest here and a lot to pick apart and kind of get a sense of what this tells us about Donald Trump as a leader, Donald Trump as a diplomatic counterparty for Asian leaders, and this goes for partners, allies, adversaries alike. Um, But also, uh, you know, I want to reflect a bit on Asian alliances and how likely they are to bend or possibly even break under Donald Trump. So I'll just do a quick uh, kind of survey of what happened between Trump and, and Turnbull. So Under the Obama administration, uh, in the final months of the administration, Australia had agreed to uh, transfer uh, refugees, actually what it describes as illegal maritime arrivals, which are asylum seekers who arrive on Australian shores illegally um, that are then held at a detention center in Nauru, which has been very controversial. Uh, But the United States had agreed under the Obama administration to take in um, an undefined number. And uh, Trump shortly put you know didn't like this idea and he went as far as to describe his conversation with turnbull which came on a day uh where he spoke to multiple world leaders including vladimir putin ostensibly a u.s geopolitical rival he described his conversation with turnbull as being the worst call of the day and he actually threatened the australian prime minister of uh threatening to send the next boston bombers to new york referring to the uh the chechen refugee status of the Sarnave brothers but um Yeah, there's a lot to pick apart here. Australia is, uh, you know, an incredible U.S. ally. If you look at the history, it's fought on the side of the United States in pretty much every major war going back to about 100 years even. So, Prashant, um, what really, you know, do you see this telling us about Trump and his personality and his leadership style? Uh, There's obviously a lot to really dig into, but uh, I'd love your take here.
1: Yeah, so I, I think two things are evident here, and, and we've discussed a lot of this uh, before, and, and it, it's playing out as, as some of us uh, expected. I think first, his style of speaking uh, has always been crude and, and hyperbolic, uh, which doesn't play out very well, uh, especially in these formal diplomatic settings, when especially when things aren't going so well. Um, and, and you've seen it here. Uh, with respect to a a key U.S. ally, I mean, the the key thing to note here is that with respect to these phone calls, there there often is uh, sometimes a massive divergence between what is actually said in the call and the transcript. And the key thing here, of course, was the fact that uh, this leaked and revealed uh, what we already sort of expected, which is that, you know, these calls that Trump is making with world leaders... um, they may not actually be as smooth as the administration is claiming. Uh, I think one other point I'd make is the fact that we we've, we've always suspected that you know Donald Trump he's not a, a foreign policy guy. He's not necessarily wedded to the nuance of specific foreign policy positions that you know us wonks like to talk about. Uh, but he does have certain tendencies and core issues that he thinks about and they're tied to his domestic base that you know he sticks with, and in this case, it appears that it was the refugee issue uh, that really set him off. Um, and so that is another thing I think that is very clear from this conversation. Yeah,
0: no, um, you know, one of the things I actually thought about is I wonder if Turnbull at any point in the conversation or if Trump, when he was kind of reviewing his briefing notes for the talk with the Australian prime minister, saw the term illegal maritime arrivals, which is what the Australians use and is very controversial. um, And he took that to mean illegal immigrants, because, you know, he had this tweet that came out after uh, the Washington Post report broke when he blamed Australia for um, or he blamed the Obama administration for accepting thousands of illegal immigrants, which is obviously uh, neither the correct number nor the correct status here for these refugees. But, you know, Prashant, I think, you know, just to build on what you said, um, if you think about, you know, a lot of what... um, I think, you know, even you and I maybe fell into this trap during the transaction was that uh, there was this idea that Trump, because of his history as a businessman, because of his claim to fame with the art of the deal and his vast business empire, would emerge as somewhat of a transactional deal maker who might not be so interested in kind of old norms of U.S. foreign policy, be they alliances or be be they, you know, normative ideas like democracy, human rights, rule of law. I think I want to put that to rest now. Um, I'm not so long, you know, I'm not that convinced anymore that the transactional framework is the right way to view Trump's diplomatic personality. Because in order for a transaction to work, you have to have a credible counterparty on both sides of the deal. And, um, you know, Turnbull, uh, even, you know, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, South Korea, uh, these, you know, d- devoted US allies are essentially credible counterparties. But what you have with Trump is a highly um, unpredictable, uh, prone to a rash decision-making leader. He's simply not a credible person to sign an agreement with. I mean, what he told Turnbull, um, according to the report, was that he was, you know, considering canceling this old deal from the Obama era, considering revisiting it, and he has this obsession with, you know, kind of uh, tearing apart deals and uh, looking at them again. And I think, you know, this uh, will have spillover effects into other areas of U.S. diplomacy with Asian allies. For example... Japan is looking to negotiate a bilateral free trade agreement after Trump signed an executive order without consulting Japan or any of the other TPP countries about uh, unilaterally withdrawing the U.S. from the trade agreement. I think when you look at these uh, sorts of reports that uh, have leaked out of the White House, uh, you know, the Turnbull call, even the call with the Mexican president Enrique Peña Nieto, uh, which by some accounts featured Trump threatening an invasion, uh, a little bit subtly, but uh, we won't get too much into that since we focus primarily on Asia here. Uh, but I think a lot of this will have, you know, real implications on how allies, um, how rational allies will think about uh, their ongoing relationship with the U.S. And I think that's actually a good segue into a second question that I have uh, here, Prashant, which is the potential implications of this incident. Uh, On the US-Australia alliance more broadly. I mean, allies disagree from time to time. That's not a new thing in international affairs, obviously. But just wondering, um, you know, what's your view of how far this could take the US-Australia alliance towards a a breaking point, for example? Um, Australian public opinion, for example, has been pretty mixed. Uh, So what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, so so first, um, you know, a little bit on on the interesting uh, counterparty point that that you made. Um, you know, I definitely agree with you that um, it, it when it comes to Trump, it, it's not going to be a straightforward sort of transactional business deal. I think one of the issues here is that uh, in the transactional approach, you have somebody who's coming in from business um, who's trying to transition that experience into politics, where it, it's it's very different. I mean, the 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 thing that Trump wrote about in the art of the deal where he mentions that, you know, he often exaggerates his opening position, uh, to sort of make the best case and then he'll settle for something less. Um, you know, that doesn't translate too well into diplomacy, right, mm-hmm. where you already have credible arrangements that have been worked out for decades as to how, um, alliances work. And then when you renege on those, uh, commitments or you don't show, a, a correct understanding of them, then you, you're not credible in the in the eyes of your allies and partners and I think the the secondary issue here is you know when we see this administration start filling out senior asia positions, uh, the degree to which uh, allies and partners will pay attention to what trump is saying versus what these senior experienced officials uh, will pay attention to it. And I think that's why you're seeing a lot of focus on who are the personalities around Trump and who really has the ear of the president and who represents what's really being said versus what Trump may think or, or someone perceives. Mm-hmm.
0: And actually, um, so before actually we move on to the alliance point, um, I just want to jump in here because I, I think you said something very interesting which reminded me, um, you know, when I wrote about this Turnbull call, one of the suggestions that I made for Asian leaders, and I guess if there's any Asian uh, policymakers listening to this podcast, I mean, you know, one of the best ways to avoid what Turnbull encountered Uh, which has, I mean, really come back to bite him if you look at the headlines in Australia uh, today, which were um, pretty unfavorable to the Australian Prime Minister. It it is an embarrassing moment to get essentially yelled at and bullied by the U.S. president. But, you know, I mean, the easy way to avoid this is to simply avoid um, interpersonal contact at the leader's level with Donald Trump, which, I mean, goes against a lot of foreign policy and diplomacy conventional wisdom where FaceTime with the leader of the United States, the global hegemon, is uh, incredibly valuable. But with Trump, you might actually be better off dealing with uh, his secretary of state, Rex Tillerson, uh, James Mattis, who's in Asia right now, reassuring allies who... Uh, understands the value of um, the old alliances that the United States has maintained in Asia and the liberal international order more broadly. So when it comes to dealing with this administration and seeing some degree of normalcy that can be very comforting to these kinds of allies, including Australia, um, probably the best way to avoid these problems is just to um, keep your contact with the Donald to a minimum.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, particularly when you don't have clarifications on what the broad contours of the relationship is with initial encounters, I mean, you definitely want to be prepared for these meetings because you really don't know what you're going to get. So I think, you know, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Right. On the, on the implications, um, I think... You know, we, we both mentioned this in, in pieces we've written about the incident. I mean, this is a long-standing standing uh, alliance. It's one of the closest, if not the closest U.S. treaty alliance, if, if you were to rank them in order. Um, it's vital for both sides, and, and that includes the priorities that Trump has highlighted himself, right, whether it's the Islamic State or the rise of China. So, um, you know, I sense there's going to be a, a need, there already is a need to, to sort of limit the fallout and, and patch things up. Um, But I I think, you know, there's no doubt it's it's a bad way for both of these leaders to start things off. Um, It is the first interaction. It will be interesting to see if in successive interactions, you know, once they start getting past the refugee issue, which um, is is a real big uh, sort of flashpoint in Australian politics, not just with the U.S., but with other countries like Indonesia and, and, and some of these other countries, um, hopefully, you know, the relationship can get back to a sound footing. I mean, I I think the, as you correctly mentioned, I mean, the most interesting aspect of this for me is how this plays into Australian politics, both in terms of elite opinion and popular opinion. Um, and I noted in my piece, there was a poll from Lowy, the Australian think tank, that showed even before Trump's election, you know, something like 45% of Australians thought the country should distance itself from the U S if. Donald Trump was elected. Um, and you could look at that as a hypothetical scenario. But now that we're seeing a situation where there's clear divergences in U.S. policy, uh, and we're not sure how lasting that will be. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out.
0: Absolutely. And that's actually something that I'm looking forward to seeing generally. Um, you see that in the U.K. right now. You see that in France. Uh, you see it less in Japan and South Korea. I think just for You know kind of cultural and normative factors but when you look at a country like australia um, actually all the five eyes countries um apart from the united states you look at the european countries i mean there's this strong kind of normative underpinning uh, a lot of what you know trump has been challenging and a lot of this goes back to you know some of trump's domestic policies that that have simply been perceived extremely negatively abroad and the you know the prime example here is the the ban on refugee and uh, travel from Muslim-majority countries, for example. Uh, So I think, you know, that will be a very interesting trend more broadly. Um, And in Asia, I think, you know, Prashant, I mean, we might also see that play out in Southeast Asia, uh, which is actually, you know, the world's most populous Muslim country, Indonesia, there, which has already expressed its regret about... Uh, The Muslim ban. So that's again something that I think, you know, US uh, partners and allies are going to be wrangling with this idea of how do you manage a very important relationship with the United States while your public opinion starts to slowly drift away from historic support for the alliance. Um, And the point you bring up about Turnbull um, and his future uh, in your article that you wrote, I think, is also very pertinent. I mean, one of the nice, and I guess you know sometimes not nice, as you saw in the U.S., uh, things about democracy is that leaders change, and that affects outcomes in foreign policy. As I mean, you know, both you and I know very well with Rodrigo Duterte, for example. Um, so um, I think you know that's again uh, pertinent in the Australian case. Uh, but w- it also will be interesting to see uh, the elite opinions that come out in the press now, because Australia does have a pretty spirited debate that's been uh, growing more intense over the past two years about the value of the alliance with the United States and whether the country should start seriously thinking about a real alignment, um, towards China or towards other Asian middle powers or towards ASEAN. So, um, I'll be intrigued to see how this incident will play out in that form as well. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. I think with respect to the, the alliances, um, picking off of, uh, you know, sort of your broader point, um, I think you'll, the, one of the key issues that came up in the campaign was these conversations about, uh, burden sharing that Trump was vaguely outlining. Um, And I think that's another thing that will be interesting to see in terms of how it actually plays out. I mean, Trump, uh, unsurprisingly, you know, does not have a very concrete uh, understanding of cost-sharing agreements between the United States and Japan and and, and South Korea, or the intricacies of EDCA. um, But... You know, how this all plays out uh, will be interesting to see, because these agreements will come up um, in, in the relationships. And, and so whether this is actually something that he'll pursue with these countries, whether it's Japan, South Korea, the Philippines, uh, will be interesting to see. And, and obviously, you know, picking up on your point earlier about personal relationships, the one that I'd be looking to see, you know, Abe and, and Trump uh, reportedly had a very good meeting when, when they met before mm-hmm. he assumed the presidency. Um, but you know, the one that's, uh, you know, the, the real, um, interesting one for me is the relationship between Trump and Duterte, which I think <laughs> both of us have talked, talked about before, Right. You know, if Trump does end up going to the Philippines for, you know, the, the, the next round of ASEAN summitry which, which the Philippines is hosting, um, you know, there, there is this sort of romance that people have been talking about. They, they had a very good phone conversation is very productive, but at the same time, you know, at, both Trump and Duterte have been known to, to say any number of things that could put the relationship uh, on the rock. So this is something that's... Uh could, could play out in any number of different ways. So that'll be interesting to watch too.
0: Yeah, no, we're really testing a lot of conventional wisdom assumptions about how international diplomacy and international relations are supposed to work with Trump. Um, and we're hardly two weeks in, uh, not even two weeks just yet, uh, if you can believe that. Um, but, uh, you know, I think the points you raise are definitely very pertinent. I mean, you know, one final thought here, uh, you know, when I reflect about this call is this whole idea of Trump kind of lashing out against turnbull um over this refugee deal and you know uh, talking about extreme vetting, uh, expressing his great concern about that. I mean, that to me also suggests that, you know, a lot of what Trump's been talking about domestically isn't really born of cynical kind of political messaging to, to his base. I mean, you know, we've seen all these polls come out that have suggested a, a significant degree of public support, for example, in the U.S. for restricting, um immigration, which, you know, every president's worried about how his policies are going to be perceived at home. So it would make sense that Trump would, for example, uh, you know, raise this fuss with Turnbull about um, refugee vetting for um for his base. But, you know, I mean, if this deal had Gone through as the Obama administration agreed to it. um, I'm pretty sure Trump's base wouldn't have really noticed. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket when you look at uh, the overall flow of uh, people entering the United States. But I think the fact that Trump kind of you know cracked down here brought up extreme vetting, which is really you know his brand. I mean, if you hear the words extreme vetting, you think of Donald Trump's immigration policy. I mean, that to me also suggests that you know he's very um, he's he's a true believer in a lot of these uh, policies that he's put forward, and that's uh, something I think allies will be taking note of. and uh, you know, I think they'll try to avoid the um, the unfortunate situation that Turnbull found himself in. Yeah. All right. Well, Prashant, I think we'll um, we'll we'll end the conversation here. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks a lot for our listeners, as always, for uh, listening to the discussion. And as always, if you're interested in hearing something on this podcast that you haven't heard yet, please do either let me or Prashant know. Um, Twitter or email is best. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And if you have subscribed, but you haven't left us a rating, please do that as well. That really helps the show. Thanks a lot for listening.